All right, Psalm 23. Hey, you, you look at a passage like Psalm 23, and man, it's famous. There's people that don't know the Bible that know Psalm 23. There's people that don't care about God that know Psalm 23. They've heard it at a funeral. You know, you hear Amazing Grace, you hear Psalm 23, and you hear John 3.16. You know, those, to me, those are the three of the, three of the big things, the big three. But uh, looking at Psalm 23, I want to take another look at it. Look at, uh, keep your finger there and go to the book of John. In the book of John, we're going to be looking at chapter number 10. But keep your finger over there in Psalm 23. Jesus said in verse number, verse number 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, but because he is a hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. Let's pray, and then we'll start this sermon. Amen. So, Jesus talked about the hireling. Jesus said he's the good shepherd. When we look at Psalm 23, and I'm going to go ahead and read that so that we can get it in our minds. But this is a Psalm of David, and I think it took place later in his life as he looked back. I think as he looked back, there were some memories that were coming to mind as he read this. And he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This passage is so spiritually magical. It's so, so loaded. When I, when I felt the urge, the conviction to preach on Psalm 23 and, and began to study for it, it's like, man, I cannot do this justice. There is just so much here. And it's hard to believe that for a, ver- a passage is only six verses long, that there's so much there. But, you know, there's passages that I've gone over and I've looked for help on and couldn't find hardly anything. But in looking at this, David's looking back on his life, I think. I think that he's older because I think he can look back on his life. And David was a kind of leader. He was a good shepherd kind of a leader. You know, many people learn leadership is manipulating people to make things happen. When they get in a position of leadership, they think that that means I can make things happen. I can get these people to do this and that. Now I can lead them like that. 
I think David saw leadership as actually taking care of people. I think it was in David's heart to lead people, to, to take care of them, to protect them, rather than to manipulate them and make things happen. You know, what we do as children, it has a profound effect upon us for the entirety of our lives. The things that we first accomplish and experience, they form our view of the world. Now, David's formative experience was taking care of sheep. He, uh, the sheep are skittish, they're nervous and vulnerable to attack, and they require the care and protection of the shepherd in order to prosper. I'm trying to stay on point, if y'all forgive me. But when Jesus spoke of being a shepherd, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And then he talked about the hireling. He said, he that is a hireling is not the shepherd whose own sheep are not. See the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. He said, the hireling fleeth because he is an hireling. And we have a picture here of, of Jesus as the good shepherd, the one that cares for the sheep and takes care of the sheep. And we have the picture of the hireling that when the trouble comes, he's just there for a paycheck. You ever been on one of them kind of jobs? You ever worked with one of those kind of people? I'm just here for the paycheck. Do this. Oh, hang on. Let me check my rule. But I didn't. That's not my job. Those words used to drive me crazy. When I had to visit a union shop or something, not my job. I, I, I needed a pallet, uh, banded, and shipped. I had to go to three different union shops to get it put together. Those were the finest looking chalks I ever seen put on that pallet. But Jesus spoke of two different types of shepherd. There's the actual shepherd that the sheep belong to. He's willing to give his life for the sheep. And there's a hireling who's only there to do a job and get paid. If things don't go his way or get too hot, the hireling leaves the sheep to fend for themselves. First Samuel. It, it seems that David spent most of his young life caring for his father's sheep. You know, those things that we do when we're young, they stick with us. I still remember when I was in, when I was working at the bait camp and, and there was this one experience I had and there were many experiences I had, but one experience that always stuck with me. There was a fellow that I used to work with and his name was Hector Rodriguez. And, and I tell you, Hector, you know, he, he might have had his problems. He, he'd been spent some time in prison, but working out there at the dike when we got a boat in, when, when the shrimp boat came in, that's when the work really started. Because them shrimpers would be out there and they would dump the boxes into the, into the big old vat down at the bottom. And then that conveyor belt would start rolling the shrimp on up. And, buddy, they were coming. You could stop the conveyor, but you're leaving them sitting in the sun. And it, things had to happen in order to take care of those shrimp so they wouldn't go bad. And you had to put some ice on the bottom and you would dump them and you would catch them and you'd get a sample and you'd count off a pound of them and get the average size and everything so that you could label it. And you had to get another shovel on there, put some more, and then put a layer of ice on top. And, buddy, you grabbed that hook. You had a hook, not hurting anybody with, but you just slam that hook into that wooden crate and drag it into the freezer. And working with Hector... I never forgot, and I, and I always you know, judge working circumstance by that. We never had to say a word to each other. We never had to tell each other, you do this, you do that. We just work together. And those things form you. And I think David sitting out there with the flock and taking care of the sheep, 
I think that was formative in his life. I think that when he looked back, you know, and I, I look back on that time and I think of what it's like to work with somebody where you don't even have to say what comes next. I think David looked back at those times with the sheep and he saw times in his leadership. He, and then he looks back and he's facing the valley of the shadow of death. I think he's at the end of his life and he's facing the biggest valley he's ever been through. And he looks back and he sees that the Lord was right there all along taking care of him. We know about David being a shepherd from 1 Samuel 16, 11. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come thither. This is when David was anointed to be king. He was called from keeping the sheep. If y'all stay with us in the lessons and we continue on with Saul, you'll see the big difference between Saul and David there. But when his father sent him to carry food to his brothers who were in the army, his older brother Eliab showed his own pride at being in the king's army instead of taking care of the sheep. When David shows up in uh, 1 Samuel 17, 28, and Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither, and with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? You're supposed to be a shepherd, boy. What are you doing here with all the men at the battle? And this is before David took out Goliath. He said, I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. When David went to King Saul, we saw a glimpse into David's care for the sheep and being willing to protect them while relying on God to protect him. David goes up to King Saul, and he's drawing on past experience. He says, thy servant, in 1 Samuel 17, 34, he said, thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go, and the Lord be with thee. Man, the power that came behind that, because all David knew was the Lord taking care of him. We're going to paint a little bit of a picture today here and there, I hope. And just take a look at David taking care of the sheep as we look at Psalm 23. David out there on his own watching over the sheep and caring for the sheep. And here he remembers the battle that took place and he gives God the glory for it and he uses that to go on to the next battle with Goliath. Now, we can never really know what was going on in David's mind when he wrote Psalm 23. We can kind of have an idea, but, you know, every now and then I like to paint the picture. But in verse Four, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Oftentimes when we think of the word valley, we may think of lush green grass hills sloping gently up both sides, up around. But when David speaks of the valley of the shadow of death, he's painting us quite a different picture. We see him walking through a deep ravine or a gorge. 
Instead of sloping green grassy hills, we see the rocks and we see the, we see the cliffs on each side, the ravine on each side going up. And there's daylight coming in, but it's not lighting everything. The valley of the shadow of death may have been a place some of the scholars said that, that the shepherd would have to carry the sheep through or have to lead the sheep through in order to get to the green grass. But they had to go through that. And he would lead those sheep through there, and there could have been snakes, there could have been robbers, there could have been wild animals, all in the corners, all in the shadows. And it's a scary thought. And David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. You know, there's times in our own lives when it seems like we're going through the valley of the shadow of death. I gave you one of mine. Let the Lord bring your own. But I can tell you it was a dark time not knowing what was going to happen and feeling like you were this close to falling off the edge. And all I could do was one foot in front of the other and all I could do was say, Lord, you've got to have this because I don't. And I just told you how well that worked out in no way that, you know, that I could have worked out. There's a, when we used to go camping, in the mountains in Georgia. It's still there, but we saw it when we went camping. There's a tunnel that's there. And let me get my notes for this because I get, so I can sound intellectual for y'all. It's called the Stump House Tunnel. Dee had to ask her mom what it was. All I knew was it was this dark tunnel that in, 18, in the 1850s, they started building it, and it was for a railroad. And they were going straight into the mountain with this tunnel. And they got so far, and it was costing millions of dollars, I guess, in today's money to make it. They had to, they had to stop building it. They couldn't afford to keep going. But when you go into this tunnel today, and then in the 18, in 1970s, they were growing cheese up in there, one of the universities. But you walk into this tunnel, and even though you got a flashlight... The further back you go into this tunnel, there is no light. I mean, there is no light from the entrance. There is no light from above. And that flashlight that you thought was pretty cool seemed like it shrunk down to a tiny beam. Y'all ever been there? Some of you are nodding your heads. You've been in a place like that. I mean, it is blackness. And I cannot, you can't imagine that closing, it can be darker than closing your eyes, you know? But I know some people can, they lost their sight, whatever. But walking in there and you got that light and all you can do is point in front of you. And all you can think of is there going to be a snake dropping on my head? (laughs) Am I going to come upon some bats at any moment that are just going to whiz by my head? What's What's in here? Your mind does all kinds of things to you as you're walking through there. And even in life, when you're going through those valleys, when you're going through those troubles, you can't see. All you can see is that light in front of you. You know, the Bible says, our word is a lamp and unto my, a light unto my feet. You know, a lamp unto my feet. A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I got twisted up. But, you know, all you have in front of you is God's word, light in the way. And the rest is darkness. And all you can do is keep your feet 
on that path. I think David remembered those times, remembered taking care of those sheep. I think he looked back at his own times. David had been through some different valleys in his life. He'd been through the valley of suffering when Saul was chasing him, when he was persecuting him, when he was trying to spear him, when he was trying to kill him because he was jealous. He'd been through the valley of slanders when others lied about him. And he, had a, he only had God. He, uh, he'd been through the valley of sin when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, when he had Uriah the Hittite killed. Thank God he came through them all. He wrote Psalm 23. He wrote Psalm 51 for that one. He'd been through the valley of sorrow, and he'd seen his little baby die. And he'd seen his son Absalom that he loved in spite of all that he'd done. He knew the Lord had forgiven him for things. He wanted to be able to forgive Absalom. But when they killed him, it broke his heart. There wasn't any choice about it, but it broke his heart nonetheless. They had to tell him, look, David, this isn't, this isn't good. All these people that fought for you to see you mourning over your enemy. And he, you got to let him go. So he'd been through some deep valleys in his life. And, you know, as we tend to do, as we get older and we look back and we see God's provident, providential hand, I think David looked back and he saw God's hand in all of that. He came through all of it. I want you to know today that you can come through it too. I think as David faced the greatest valley in his life, the valley of the shadow of death, the specter of death was facing him. And... He looked back on his own time as a shepherd and taking care of the sheep and the things that they had done, the sheep that had wandered off, the sheep that had gone astray, watching and keeping the animals off of the sheep, keeping the wolves at bay. I think he could see God's hand in all that. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. When you're going through the valley, the first thing you need to know is who the shepherd is. The Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, and Jesus is our shepherd. In the life of a Christian, Jesus is our shepherd. He's our shepherd past, present, and future. You know, the Bible says in John 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Jesus laid down his own life for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He gave his life for us. In the past, when we accept that, that becomes the foundation of our relationship with God. He's the great shepherd. He keeps us built up. He's the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He keeps us built up. Hebrews 13, 20 says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Make you perfect. Not only did he save us, but he's making us perfect. He's helping us grow. Those times when you go astray and that little shepherd's hook comes and grabs you around the neck, pulls you back, conviction, sometimes a little chastising. Maybe that staff comes across your hind end for just a second. A little chastisement. But he's keeping you, making you perfect. Make you perfect in every good work to do his will. 
Not making you perfect to make you a better self-help person, but making you perfect to do his will. He is the chief shepherd, and that's our future. The good shepherd is our past, the great shepherd, our present, and the chief shepherd, our future. 1 Peter 5, 4 says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. The chief shepherd is the one Jesus Christ one day will give us rewards for the things that we've done in his name, for the things that we've done according to his will. So the first thing you know need to know from Psalm 23, because Psalm 23 seems to encompass the whole Christian life you know, in six verses, says the Lord is my shepherd. You need to know who the shepherd is. A lot of people don't know Jesus is Lord. They go after other shepherds. He says, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me into the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You need to understand, too, that the shepherd provides for your needs. Now, as humans, here on this earth, we have two different needs. We've got the material needs. When I moved out here, I needed a job. Needed money to take care of the family, and we all need that. If a man will not work, he will not eat. And you talk about a verse that grabs you by the heart every time you get up in the morning. A man will not work, he will not eat. A man that does not provide for his own is worse than an infidel. And all you can do is get up and do the next step. It's a process. But you want God in charge of that process. And materially, he says... He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. There wasn't always green pastures everywhere they went. But the shepherd, I think, I think David was one of those good shepherds. Because, you know, the hireling could take the sheep out, and there's some scrubs and weeds over here. They can eat those. But David, having his care for the flock and knowing each of them by name, maybe he had names, I don't know. But knowing, knowing each of the sheep, knowing... Who's the children, who's the little lambs were, belonged to? When he took them out, he took them past that scrub. Come on, don't stop there. Come on. And he guided them. And he took them, and he knew where the good spots were. Just like a fisherman, when he goes out on the water, he knows where the good spots are. That shepherd would know where the green grass was. And the sheep just followed along. And he would take them out. I'm just painting a picture today, y'all. They followed me on it. And he takes those sheep out to the green pasture and, and lets them eat. He provides materially. The good shepherd knew where the good grass was. But the journey along the way, it's not always smooth, right? When David took them from one place to the next, maybe they had the ground where they slept. But when David took them out there, they might have had to cross some rocky ground in our own life. We're going to have to cross some rocky ground. And I tell you what, and sometimes you're going to want to stop and eat the scrubs. But God will guide you past the scrubs and get you to the good stuff. That doesn't mean a Cadillac, y'all. Get that out of your head. He says, maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. That was an interesting thing I hadn't thought of. You know, sheep are skittish. 
And if that water is, is flowing, and I know you've heard preachers talk about it, but if that water is flowing, they won't drink out of it. Now, I haven't taken care of sheep, but this is what I understand. Now, they, they, they won't drink. If it's moving too much, they get skittish, and you can't get them to drink. The good shepherd leads them by still waters. You know, the good shepherd would take some rocks, and he would go over to that stream, and he would set them up in that stream to slow the water down until it was still so that those sheep could get over to the water and drink and so that they would drink. You know, the hireling wouldn't go through any such trouble. If they wouldn't drink there, he'd let them go thirsty. He'd just carry them on past until they got to a spot where it was still. But the good shepherd takes care of his sheep. How much more does the Lord take care of us? How much more does the Lord set things up so that that water's still, so that you can abide there. Amen? And then there's spiritually. He said, He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He restoreth my soul. A lot of preachers use that for uh, refreshment. And it is a refreshment. The Lord refreshes us. But there's also a restoration involved. I, I was reading it and it said, shove is the Hebrew word, shub, shove. But, and then it, it's like a reconciliation. You know, and there's sheep that get away, but they get restored to the flock. And in the shepherd's mercy, he'll go after them. Not only does, do you need to know the shepherd, and you need to realize that the shepherd provides for all your needs. You also need to know when you're in the valley of the shadow of death that the shepherd will protect you. A hireling will just flee, Jesus said. They're not his sheep. He doesn't want to get eaten by the wolf. He doesn't want to get eaten by the bear. But David cared for those sheep. He said a lion and bear came. They took a lamb. They took one of the sheep and he went after them. You know, they say that the shepherd, he said, uh, said they had, he said, let's look. Verse number four, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. They say they took a piece of wood, straightened it out. Maybe it had a knob on the end, but that was the rod. And the rod was for the enemy that came. Big knob on the end. You know, we've got a stick at home that was for baseball practice. Didi got it. We don't use it for baseball practice. We just keep it behind the door, you know. But just in case, it's got a big knob on the end, big lead knob. And I can just imagine the shepherd having that rod handy. But it wasn't for his sheep because he loved them. It was for the blind and the bear that came. You know, I... How much more the Father takes care of us? The devil roams about as a roaming lion, seeking whom he may devour. And there's, there's so many times in our lives, there's so many times it seems like the devil comes up, so many times when we get tempted. And God, we, we have no idea what God has done to intervene to save us from the mouth of the lion. He says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, knowing that God's with you. You know, you're not alone when you're walking in that valley. 
and thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Knowing that that rod can pronounce judgment, knowing that God's, God can protect you. And then there's also the staff. They said they take that long piece of wood and they'd soak the head of it or soak, soak it in the water and then they'd slowly bend it. Y'all heard this before, I know. And they'd slowly bend and make it put a shepherd's hook in that. And that hook was, it was small enough to fit around the neck of one of the adult lamb, sheep, but it was also large enough to fit around the body of a lamb. One of those lambs wanders off and falls off into the ditch or something. The shepherd's able to take that hook and pull him up out. It says in the Bible over in Psalm 40, verse 2, He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. There's times when you get away from God or there's, there's, there's things that happen in people's lives. How many times have you seen that happen to somebody that they, they get away from God and then they return to God when they're older? Or they, 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 God gets a hold of them and he brings them back in. I was talking to a fellow out of the plant and he, he, he was telling me about a guy that he worked with that he would, when he would witness to somebody else, the other guy would say, it's not like that. He said he found out later the guy used to be an associate pastor. And when he talked to him, he, before he knew that, when he talked to him, he said, I know more Bible than you'll forget. He'd gone to school to be a pastor. And when he got out to, to be an associate pastor, he didn't tell me the things that the church members had done, but he, he said the things that they'd done to him, it wasn't, there, there wasn't any wonder that he kind of turned bitter. And he, the, the man told him, he said, yeah, the things Christians do to people, and, and I, I know some people that, you know, they're, they're mad at Christians. They're, they're just the things that people can do to you. And uh, he said, he told him, he said, you know, it wasn't them that pushed you away from God. It was you that allowed them to push you away from God. He said he got to thinking about that. He came back to him a few years later. He said, you know, you were right. It's funny how that works. You know, you were right. He said, about what? And he said, when you, when you told me about that, he said, I really got to thinking. It was me that got away from God. He went, he went on the run. It can happen. Well, the Lord took that staff and gently nudged him, using the words of that man, a word fitly spoken, Gently nudged him to bring him back into the fold, bring him back in. Not an easy journey. You're going to have to get drug across some brambles, get drug across some rocks maybe. Maybe bump against the side of the pit as you're getting pulled out of it. It's going to, there's going to be some scratches. Your fur, your wool is not going to be quite as clean as when you first fell in there. But God will pull you back into the flock. Y'all follow me on that? He said, and this is one I had a little bit of trouble with, but I understand it now. He said, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. That table prepared in the presence of mine enemies. Let me show you how to picture, or let me tell you how to picture this. David is watching over the flock. They're in the green grass and they're, they're just eating away. Those sheep are just happy. 
But the shepherd is standing there with his rod, his staff, and he's looking out over them. All they see is the next blade of grass. There's a blade of grass here, there's a blade of grass here, and they're just eating away. And the shepherd's standing watch over them with that rod, and he sees the enemy just outside. And he sees the wolves gathering around, and he's watching them. The sheep are sitting right there in the presence of the enemies. The table's prepared, and they're just enjoying. David's watching out over that flock, and he's watching them, and he's watching those wolves, and those wolves are watching him. And he's ever vigilant. And the enemy is right there, but he's not touching the sheep because he knows the shepherd's there. In our own lives, when we draw close to the Lord, we may go about our lives. We may go on to the next thing, the next thing, and we may not realize how close the enemy is. We may not realize what God's saving us from. He said, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. The anointing with oil. Oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. God gave us his Holy Spirit. That's, that's, our, that's our mediary. That's our, that's our seal of salvation. We've been anointed. And then my cup runneth over. Psalm 45, 7 says, Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. As joy, overflowing joy. I mean, when you're right, true joy comes from knowing the Lord, and true joy comes from a right relationship with God. It doesn't come from all the blessings. It comes from a right relationship with God. So not only does the, you need to know the shepherd, you need to know he provides, you need to know he protects, but you also need to know that the shepherd, the good shepherd, preserves. He says in verse number six, he said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We know about God's goodness. We know that he gives us more than we deserve. He knows it, and we, we know that he'll give us things we may not think we need, and some things that we think we need, he won't give us. That sheep that wants to stop and eat the scrubs, the shepherd says, no, no, it's better down here. We're going to have to travel through this valley. You don't know about it. All you can see is what's ahead, but the shepherd knows the road ahead. The shepherd knows what's up ahead. His goodness that leads you, the goodness that protects you, the goodness that goes a step the hireling won't even dare to step. And then his mercy, his forgiveness. In Luke 15, 4, Jesus said, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance.
I don't even know how to add to that. People get away from God, and, and we talked about it, but people get away. It's just God's mercy, God's desire for you to return. The joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, over 99 and just persons. It doesn't mean that you go out there and sow your wild oats and then God's all happy that you get back. But people mess up. People mess up on accident. People mess up on purpose. But God's mercy is ever there for you. We see it over and over again in the Bible. We, you know, we, I like to look at the Old Testament. I like to see the Israelites. I don't like to see them mess up. But I, I see them turn to other gods like we've seen in our Sunday school. They turn to other gods. They get away from God. But God says, turn back to me. Turn back to me. And that God's mercy is ever there for you to turn back. Sometimes we're convicted about a word we say to somebody. Sometimes we're convicted about a deed that we say to somebody, that we do. But God's mercy is there. And we have eternal life. He says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In John chapter 14, verse 2, it says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If, I, if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. A house prepared. I'm going to read you something. I got to read it because it's a testimonial from Aaron Rodgers, uh, Adrian Rogers. It's, it's an illustration that he gave based on a conversation he had. So I got to read it. Because it's his words. It's a story concerning Alexander Solzhenitsyn. You remember the Soviet Union? I, you know, they don't seem to remember that much nowadays. But the Soviet Union, the Cold War, they, they ever fear a nuclear, thermonuclear destruction, mutually assured destruction. And the Soviet Union that took away all rights, we have that in China now. But he was, he was a Soviet and he was a dissident. He was an artist. He was a writer. He was not their kind of people. He had faith in God, and they have no faith in God. They have no desire for God. He said, do you know who Alexander Sultan is? If you don't know, you ought to know. He's one of the leading thinkers and literary artists of all times. And at the time, he was alive now. He was alive he said he's a Russian dissident. He was a Russian citizen, but he believed in God and he believed against a godless communist philosophy and so forth. And because of that, they put his brilliant, scintillating, gifted, artic articulate man in, dungeon, in a dungeon. They put him in a prison camp and he was telling Senator Jesse Helms about it. This is why I had to read this. Brother Adrian Rogers, he went to a prayer meeting, a national day of prayer, and he was talking to Senator Jesse Helms. And he told this story to Jesse Helms, so it's not in any of his books. He said, he, and he said, Senator, you've never known real repression. And he says, I pray, God, that you never will. And he says, I want to tell you what happened to me. And he told that he was put in that prison camp and that he was shut away from all communication from the outside world. No newspapers, no radio, no television, no books, no pencils, no paper, and no conversation. Completely shut off. Not knowing what on earth was going on in the world, hard, physical, manual labor, day after day, that kind of existence. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, I came to the place where I decided I would take my own life. 
Then he said, I thought of my faith in God. I thought of the teaching of the Bible. And he said, I knew that I could not do that. But life was intolerable. He said, I did not know what I was going to do. And then he said, this thought came into my mind. He said, I know what I'll do. I'll try to escape, knowing that that's impossible. But I'll break and run. And then he said, they'll shoot me in the back and I won't have to take my life. That's all he had to do. And of course, that was twisted thinking. And later on, he knew that was twisted thinking. But the man was in that sort of situation where even his normal logic was somewhat perverted. So he came out on this particular day and made up his mind. This was the day. The guards had been very brutal. The prisoners were sitting under a tree, given just a few moments of respite and rest. Sitting under a tree, they were not allowed to murmur one word to another. And Alexander made up his mind, and he said, this is the time. And he put his hand on the ground, ready to push up, ready to spring, ready to run. And just at that moment, what a, fe- a fellow prisoner came and stood before him and looked into his eyes. They couldn't speak a word. And Alexander said, love and peace were in that man's eyes, and his eyes met mine, and we stood there, and he looked in my eyes, knowing he could not say a word. But kindness and compassion and peace flowed from his face. And then he took a stick as though he were just making a mark on the ground. It would mean nothing to the guards, but with that stick, he drew a cross, Alexander said. I looked down and God spoke to my heart and said, Alexander, I'm with you in the valley. He said, little did I know that in three days I would be in Geneva, Switzerland, a free man. All over the world, people were talking about him and what had happened to him. And people were pressuring the Russian government and people were praying for him. And finally, because of this pressure, this man was set free. Three days and he was in Switzerland, but he was right on the verge of saying it's all over. I can't take it anymore. Are you facing the valley? Know that God's with you. Know that he'll provide for you, he'll protect you, and he'll preserve you. If you'll stand...